و میلیان چیجیشید و دو میلیان چیجیشید شه دو میلیان چیجیشید شتری Welcome to I Don't Hate This. I'm the Avantis Guard podcast. I'm Nina Lidoff. You're the Avant Gardist podcast. I think I said that once before. Did I stutter? <laughs> <laughs> uh, welcome to another rousing. Who are you? Wait, who are you? <laughs> uh, oh. I'm Eric Wenzel, and this is your curator, Eric Wenzel. What, that's like a different version. It's like yeah, uh, you're not an artist, Eric Wenzel. This week, you're curator, Eric Wenzel. Mm-hmm. Um, no, or it was like you know, this is night vision Batman. It's the same basic figure, but he's got neon yellow arms. Because <laughs> we're selling it twice, and you glow in the dark. I glow in the dark because I am the Dark Knight. Uh, I'm curator, man about town. Master of Dead Airspace, <laughs> Eric Wenzel, and we invite you to another rousing discussion about the arts. Is uh, quiet. Quiet. Oh, <laughs> they say, quiet no. you. <laughs> quiet arts because it's fancy. Oh, ew! You're like that senator that has a Downton Abbey office. Had <laughs> had. Um, I feel bad for him because, like. I mean, yeah. how much money could that possibly have cost? Because, I mean, who doesn't <laughs> want a Downton Abbey? Well, I felt bad for him because it wasn't, he had like red walls and a crystal chandelier, but that does not a Downton Abbey. I know. Me. I was like, ew, who thought that was Downton Abbey? Also, like, was he trying, it looked, it really looked like, you know, like this It was more like an century. eyes wide shut office. Well, right. Like, like the Downton Abbey is in done in some kind of Victorian or Edwardian style, but they're living in the 20s. But his office was like... Georgian? Yeah, it was like no, a, wait, Americana, was sort of. It, did, it was, it was, it was a hot neither. mess. It was not... Um, well, I was listening, you know, listening to his downfall <clears throat> today on the, uh, the radio and they're talking about it. First of all, we're... He was on the, like, the school board at 18... So we're talking about the different, he was like a state senator at 23 and then something or other at 27. And then now at 33, his career is completely ended. And He's I, like a figure skater. And I thought, hey, for the first time in a long time, I feel good about the age I am and where I am in my career. Because my career is not over. I, it's getting better and better. I haven't, I haven't lived everything out and completely finished off uh, in a blaze of, you know, ethics not so glory yeah yeah uh, well that's how art is though um i think if you actually are too successful too early you're gonna burn out we're gonna flip that shit real fast yeah and um um, i think art is one of the only careers well maybe not one of the only but i think there's some comfort in that that really you start hitting your stride and your career really takes off like in your 50s yeah Golden years. Um, yeah. Most people, I feel, most careers, you know, you're young, you do something great, 
and then you're over and then you're like, well, what, now what am I going to do? Yeah. But most most artists aren't having like really big shows until they're 50 and then then they get to be like an 80-year-old like crotchety artist who says like crazy things and can get away with it. <laughs> yeah, like some of the artists that I've included in my show Documentra. What a great what segue. We're here to talk about today. Eric curated a show and um my... You can maybe like ask me questions about it? Maybe. Maybe? I don't know. Well, if you <laughs> a, after not. you're done listening to this episode, you can ask questions at um, I don't hate this at gmail.com or, and we will answer them or at other things like tweeters twit tw- yeah you can tweet at us at <laughs> I don't hate this oh my god so speaking of which we had a tweet a fan tweet question it's oh, yeah. from a really long time ago from January 21st didn't we answer this last episode or no no we didn't no oh um, so we waited even longer. But, you know, I felt bad for not answering it because I said that I was going to. So we're going to answer it on air. This comes to us from our Twitter friend, Business Fish. Um, at less of that, please. Uh, L-E-S-S-O-F-T-H-A-T-P-L-Z. Oh, okay. I was wondering where. <laughs> Pulls, you know, like internet. Yeah. Um, Business Fish writes. I don't hate this. Would be interested to hear out your take on the Luke Toyman's case, given that at and let off, that's me, is a photographer. And um, our answer is who's Luke Toymans? That that was okay. So apparently there was a controversy that <laughs> Luke Toymans <laughs> painted a photograph that was he under painted copyright. On the photograph? Oh no, my God. he painted a photograph. He painted a picture of a photograph. Yes. Okay. Um, business fish, I will be a hundred percent honest with you. I had no idea who Luke Toymans was. I had never heard of that controversy in any case. And Eric was absolutely horrified to hear that because he thinks I'm a Philistine. I don't think you're a Philistine. I was just shocked that you hadn't heard of Meh. Luke Toymans. And I looked up the picture. I think the photograph was a pretty interesting photograph, but I thought the painting was terrible. Did you I, read about the story of it? Um, a little. <laughs> Uh, who was the photograph of? Um, a politician. Okay. Now I have to Google it. Why didn't I do that beforehand? You know, research. Research. As I've been told, uh, time and time again, do your research. <laughs> and as I tell my students, time and time again, do your homework or else. Well, fine. Or else, what you find yourself killing time on a podcast as your co-host. Furiously Googles uh, an image that she can't find because she's running on an outdated version of OS on an unbacked. Okay, listen. <laughs> My iPhone runs fine. First of all, we can't all get a new six like you. And second of all, why don't you tell us about Luke Toymans? Uh, he's some painter. I don't know. He's you told me last week that he was one of the greatest European painters of his generation. <laughs> I don't know if I said that. I mean, he's a contemporary painter, so now, like, nationality doesn't mean anything unless that's part of your bit. Or, like, what is it? Unless that's part of your gimmick? Um, so he's a, he's a painter. Um, I would say he kind of comes out of the tradition of Richter, kind of basing things a little bit on photography. Um, what always attracted me to his work, at least when I was younger and more into it, um, you know, like any 
musician or hero you get into, you're kind of into them and then you kind of lose interest and they keep making work because that's what they have to do. Um, I was, I liked the way they almost didn't look like paintings. They were sort of non-paintings or absent paintings. Um, someone described him as a limp painter. Like his hand was very limp. Like the way he sort of, the lines and everything in the work is sort of like stumbling and loose. Um, the stuff now is more photographic and more controlled. So I'm thinking of kind of like classic stuff, like eighties, nineties and early 2000 paintings. Um, but he's also had, you know, a major effect on younger artists, uh, painters that have come after him, uh, painters who have all gone through art school and look at them. Um, he did a really awful painting of Condoleezza Rice that looks a lot like her. So I'm not so okay. into the more political painting. Well, yeah. So, okay. So I had never seen his paintings before. Obviously, I've never seen them in person. I didn't even really look at that many of them. But, like, I seriously thought they looked like the paintings of George W. Bush. Like, you know, when Bush's paintings came out and they were, like, on mm -hmm. the cover of the New York Times for some reason? Okay. Let me just say this. I disagree. George W. Bush's paintings of himself in the bath and shower are amazing. I love those paintings they so much. They look like, yeah, no, those are pretty amazing. They're they, great paintings because when someone said, George W. Bush is painting now, I expected them to be like the paintings of Hitler. <laughs> but they weren't. They were like actually good. Those two were really good paintings. And then, then he started painting all these portraits of political figures. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well. So when I saw these paintings, that's just immediately where my mind went. Okay. Um, we'll have a joke for you. Sure. Uh, I guess it's more of a statement joke. It's not really like a question joke, like who, who's, you know, what do you call it, whatever. Uh, but the statement joke is the only difference between uh, Adolf Hitler and George W. Bush uh, is the order in which they did bad artist and war criminal. <laughs> oh, good. That was a good one. Burn. Burn. Although... Um, Burn. Oh. <laughs> a good friend of mine said George W. Bush deserved to have a lot of horrible things happen to him, but having his paintings leaked on the internet wasn't actually one of them. Mm. What, they should have been his dick pics or something? <laughs> like, like happened to the Hunger Games chick? <laughs> that's completely different. What? She didn't deserve that at all. No, I also, know, but that's I what mean, I'm saying. Is that what should have happened to him instead of his paintings? Or they're like, oh, we got these no, sex like his... pics of him, but these paintings are so much more laughable. We're going to leak those. No, like they should have leaked his emails where he ordered all these illegal things and war criminal things, etc. Oh, I thought you were like, no, that, like, like, like he, he deserves some real cold shit to happen to him, but fucking stealing no, those like, paintings, deserves... that, was, that was unfair. That no, he deserves line. to like have his emails hacked and like have some kind of torture reports well. leaked, not like his paintings of his dog sheesh yeah but i mean that proved that he clearly was the patsy that he was like he's just like happy-go-lucky kind of his dog yeah like i don't think there are those emails like they're probably unopened it's like from 2001 and it's like it's got two exclamations and it's from uh rumsfeld it's like torture okay question mark and then it's like two hours later yo open this <laughs> like did you get this email <laughs> And, uh, and they're just like, this is what we're planning on doing. Uh, I guess we'd let you know because you are the president. But whatever. Um, Dick Cheney out. Man, I miss Bush bashing. I haven't done this in a long time. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I think that settles the question. The answer is I have no perspective. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks for writing. And I hope that you guys all write in and tweet us your questions about art.
art controversies in the yeah. future. Name, uh, yeah, you should tweet at I don't hate this other artist you think Nina should look up. Sure. Yeah. I like learning. <laughs> now how come it's like pulling teeth to get you? Because to- <laughs> I hate the dentist. <laughs> uh, so that's a good painting. They're looking up paintings, but our, that our producer help. is showing us some excellent works from Luke Toyman's catalog. I don't have my glasses on, his, so they look even worse. To from me. his Uver, and oh. none of them look—they all look like the absence of a painting, but none of them look like George W. Bush paintings. They look at paint. That's why his that paintings looks like an Edward Hopper. His paintings are so interesting, is because a lot of times you're like you don't know what it is you're looking at. It's like it's like uh, you're looking at. An image where you believe the person who made it thoroughly understands what they're looking at, but you don't. Maybe. That's from Der Diagnostische Blick. We're looking at paintings. This is the radio. This is like, no wonder there's no. Well, no, but the stuff I was describing wasn't specifically any one of those paintings. I'm just. True. This is an audio podcast about About visual visual art. art. Okay. Okay. So it's bound to happen. Okay. So, um,. That Ugh. painting is brilliant. It's in the Art Institute. It's a little really? soldier. It's. I wrote a huge long essay about that. It's why the most every painting thing. that we like bring up, you've written an essay about. How does that happen? I don't know because I write important things about uh-huh. important people. Uh-huh. I'm a man doing things. Uh-huh. So speaking <laughs> that, of doing things, I was thinking things. that one is Albino John Lennon. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put some of these on the Tumblr. But All I right. think that actually might be Michael Caine from Alfie. All right. Speaking of doing hilarious. things, ta- tell us about that thing you did. And by that thing you did, I mean organize this exhibition. I curated an exhibition entitled Documentia, uh, which is currently on view at Sidecar Gallery in Hammond, Indiana, just uh, across the Skyway. You can take a nice scenic tour of the uh the oil flats of uh, the South Shore of Indiana. Um, but I would say, you know, distance wise, I don't know where you guys are out there in internet land. Um, but if you're in the greater Chicagoland area or Northwest Indiana, I highly recommend it. In the, in the Tri County. Um, <laughs> it's really I not that I would say from far. Chicago, it's probably closer than it is to uh, IKEA in Schaumburg. Yeah, it's 45 minutes. Yeah, it's a pretty, it's a pretty straight shot. Um, the space, it's run by Michael Kaysen, who is also artist, ceramicist, and gadfly. All <laughs> Tweetaholic. Cool, cool guy. All around. Wait, what's yeah. his Twitter handle? I think right now it's like Senior Headache. No, it's Sidecar, at Sidecar at Hammond. Sidecar. Oh, and then his name is like Senior Dollars. You know, he's like, he's, of all the people I know. It's he, Delore. <laughs> Pain. Oh, well, and then on Instagram, I think he's Senior Headache. Yeah. He changes his names a lot. But you can find him on Twitter at Sidecar Hammond, which is the gallery. Yeah. Um, so it's like a small, like century old house. I don't know. Would you call that like a, what kind of house would you call that? Um, Like a bungalow. A bungalow. Um, so it's this little sort of century old house, as I said, and he's sort of, uh, refinished, rehabbed it, put in new wood floors, and it has this really nice character to it. Um, the whole house is the gallery, mm-hmm. yes, yeah, including so like, the attic space. Yeah, the basement is sort of his studio work area um, for Kaysen's own personal work, and then you know the main floor is 
got like the gallery office and then it's got several rooms for installation of artwork galleries <laughs> um then a small hallway that leads to a staircase to the unfinished attic which is often where installations take place so in this exhibition um brandon alvendia has created a sort of minimal intervention but really talks about attic space and like uh collecting of things or you know things that are left when someone leaves um why don't you explain the origin of the title like honestly because <laughs> it's kind of a funny story yeah well i think like well, you told me you were not allowed to be funny on this because it's uh, serious because this is your work and you can't yeah uh well i can't help it i mean it yeah, i don't know it's a good story um so a lot of things that I it's like the, the you have to tell this story because I, I told the pretzel gallery story. Yeah, no, when I don't I don't feel stupid about it. I own it. I feel like it's like oh, there's this great uh, John Peel quote. Uh, my friend gave me this great magnet of this really sad looking Scottish border collie, like soaking wet, just looking so sad, looking at the camera like oops. Uh, standing on this rock that's now in, surrounded by water because he clearly went out there at he swam out there at low tide or something but he's like been stranded because the tide has changed uh, on this rock out in the bay and he's just like Mwah. and the quote from John Peel is I never make stupid mistakes only very clever ones um, and actually, I think a lot, like, I read things very quickly or I glance at something and then I sort of generate a title or generate a reading of it that's almost more ad-libbed or what would you say? Incorrect. No, <laughs> no well, I know yes, what you, you mean. would say that too. Well, I but... think you, I mean, that's how I feel when I look at those um, Christopher Wool paintings. Mm -hmm. These words jump out at you and you can't help but think of them, even if they're not actually what's on the page. Mm-hmm. And I think you, anything you read can be like that. Yeah, it's like word association or something. So when I was young artist uh, at the Flaxman Library of the Art Institute of Chicago, uh, looking around at this library dedicated only to art books, what? Um, you know, they have a lot of those like rebound books or bound. Not These weren't the bound periodicals, but these were like, you know how like even today... Oh, so basketball. Um. <laughs> a dog just entered the room. This is the sound of, of one dog sniffing. sniffing. Okay, we can't get distracted by the dog. The listeners everybody, hey, everybody, that. there's a dog and you can't hear or see him. Isn't that like that Simpsons episode yeah. where there's just a dog? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, there is a dog in the vents. <laughs> no, there's this one where there's just a dog outside the window. And oh, yeah. they're like, if anyone looks at that dog, I can't even remember which episode that is. I don't either, too. I don't know the concept of it. You know what, though? This is like Schrodinger's dog because you don't know if this dog is or is not in this room. What if we're lying? We can never get this distracted if yeah. it wasn't true. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because we're never distracted by absolutely nothing at all where we just stop talking. Um, okay, so your word association. So these uh, books, you know, they get bound again. And even to this day, they use like those weird 70s color. And it has that weird texture with like the words kind of tool and dyed imprinted in them. 
I love those books, though. I always used to go to the library and make my mom pick all those books that like don't have an actual picture on the cover, because then mm-hmm. you could imagine that it was any book you wanted. And I could pretend I was in Beauty and the Beast, you know, where she like goes to the library and. But then you open it, and it would be like how to digitally weave. <laughs> Well, no, it wasn't at the Flaxman Gallery. It would be like just at the regular library. So it'd be like planting, you know, planting I'm just geraniums. I'm imagining like some 70s book about technology that doesn't exist anymore. And it's like, how to use craft with your Commodore. I'm too young to even understand what you're talking about. Well, craft is what people used to be committed to. And it's a way of, <laughs> uh, you know, following through with your project and doing it well. I don't know what I don't know what that means. I'm a net artist. <laughs> da- with your downloads and your Wi-Fi. What does that mean? Post internet. Wait, what? It post internet is like after Armageddon, right? When there's no internet. No, it's like you know stuff that looks cool on the internet. Like but after the internet, you just can't make things that don't go on the internet. But cause... that's not post internet. That's just internet. Post internet would be like <laughs> if the internet finished and then we're all. In that Twilight Zone episode of the guy who just wants to read a, his book, but his goddamn wife won't stop talking. And then he breaks his glasses and he says, a kingdom from a spork. Uh, he's trying to he's trying to cut a muffin in half, but he only has a spork. So you know ironic. that episode? That yeah. episode, like, he, like, doesn't have the thing that he oh, needs. The nuclear bomb explodes the fork. Spoon and knife factory, and all that's left are sporks. Yeah. Oh, I'm Such God. A tragic I'm imagining. Future. Such I'm a imagi- tragic future ahead of us. I'm a mad tragic future. That sounds like a good post uh, rock band. <laughs> tragic future is the name of my new post internet art exhibition. Um, it's like postmodern. Yeah. But like with for the internet. <laughs> but I would argue. But I, I sounded like Bane right there. Wait, are you Bane or are you Batman? <laughs> no, no, I'm Bane talking to Batman. Oh, but Batman. You call it. Oh, but I would argue that uh, modern art still exists, even though you say you've killed it. Well, modern art <laughs> still exists, even though there's postmodern art, so the internet exists after postmodern No, but the, no, postmodern was very much like modernism is finished. This is. Modernism's dead. Etc. Etc. It just doesn't make it. Okay. Sense well, this is me. a stupid thing to talk about. I, we yeah. can maybe we'll do a more in-depth discussion about it at a later date, or maybe we won't at all because no, no one needs to be talking about this. Uh, as we say on our internet podcast, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? You know what's dumb? The internet. I hate it. I hate it. Like it just lets you connect to stuff, oh, and, and then you, like the then whole you just, world then is you open just, to like, you instantaneously. Oh, what is with that? Oh. And then anyone can look at your browser history and see that you opened a page about Bill Clinton's shoe size. <laughs> True story. That actually happened. That was actual browser history found by mm-hmm. us. But it was actually Roosevelt's shoe size, and they were wondering if they shrunk after he stopped walking. Really? I don't. I, I assume they? they. I don't know. I, I'm guessing that from disuse. Whoa. Um, he pro- also. You didn't see Ken Burns didn't talk about that. Yeah, because he's a fucking hack. <gasps> How dare you? Um, I dare. Uh, we are way off topic. I know. So we need to so stop talking about the books and just get to the. Well, no. So they had this whole list of books, like a whole group of them, and I looked at them quickly and misread it as documentra. Misread what? The titles of the books. Uh huh. And uh, so immediately I was like, oh, 
oh, is this like some sort of like annual festival of like documentary filmmaking that's like about obsessive documentation or something? That looked closer and they said Documenta, which of course is the Fumfenial uh, held in Kassel, Germany, which was like a lot more boring because it sounds like it should be cool, but it's just, you know, the, an international art fair, which is cool, or it international cool. art exhibition. But the title makes it sound a lot cooler than anything that that it's different or something than like the Istanbul Biennial or the Venice Biennale or that. Well, because Documenta doesn't mean anything. They made it up, which is cool. To make it sound like it's, it meant something. It's a cool word to say if you say it like pretending that you're German. If instead of like saying Documenta, boring. Documenta, amazing. Ooh, like Kublai Khan. Documenta. Um, that's one word I refuse to pronounce in German for some reason. Documenta. Cause it's like a doc. I mean, it, it, it's a document. Uh, uh <laughs> so anyway, that's where this, and the, and like a lot of ideas that I really like working with, they, they're kind of dumb and spur of the moment and they sort of like fly out of my head fully formed. Um, so immediately, like, so like literally that was this idea I had. And then for years it was like, it would come up again, like. The idea of like a show or exhibition or something where it's like work that's about obsessive documentation or record keeping or that kind of thing. And, you know, it it, it started out as something kind of silly and misreading something. And, you know. Um, well, because you believe that you you have this sort of theory about art as a kind of science, so it's something you can collect and analyze. I do. Yeah. You've said that before. No, I'm against art that tries to be science. Hmm. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think art is influenced by any number of practices. I'm opposed to the art that sort of takes on the armature of science and then sort of aestheticizes it without a real purpose. Yeah. Um, you know, art that says like, oh, well, well, it's okay. Like, I'm just kind of miming documentary style, but it doesn't really have to be real science or something or, or it doesn't have to be accurate i think we were yeah. talking about that too where you like do yeah. some sort of experiment but you, you're not actually doing it you're sort of doing like the gesture of it yeah exactly um and so that's what the the art i was interested in this show that i gathered together was stuff that was like done out of some sort of internal need or necessity to do this whether it's an artist or someone doing something that that the result is art or art like um they yeah. aren't doing it to aestheticize research or to aestheticize documentation. It is some sort of like emotional or visceral need. Yeah, to emotional. Do it. Yeah, and it becomes sort of a personal expression in that sense. Um, it's so funny to hear that actually, because the other day I, I'm I was trying to think of something. I was having really strong emotional experience and I was like, maybe I should make art about this, but I didn't want it to be bad. So I was thinking about how I could make it have an interesting aesthetic experience, which is yeah. almost like the opposite of that. Like, Yeah, that's the last thing you should do when you're feeling something is just do it. Yeah. And then, yeah, it is. I mean, it is hard to like not be self-aware and like be thinking about how this stuff might read before you've even done it, you know, before it's even out on the wall or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so some of the work, you know, was planned, um, but some very much was about an obsessive undertaking that really wasn't for anyone else other than the person doing the undertaking. And then later um, it becomes something that's exhibited or shown or shared. 
Um, but it's also about keeping stuff or holding on to stuff, which is like kind of what Brandon's uh, pieces up in the, the attic are about, you know, mm-hmm. he's got this small cluster of boxes in there. Uh, I really like the way he described it. He's like, you know, as we're like kind of installing it as a group of a couple people and kind of figuring out how it all should be laid out in this little small room in the attic. And he's like, Oh, well this is the, this isn't the stuff you take with you when you move. This is the stuff you leave behind. And then the whole space had this kind of sort of somber, morbid thing of like this moment, the, the eternal moment just after the moment, like someone has just left. And then the feeling that that extends, whether they've died or moved out or something, you've got these few things. And so somehow they might, uh, indicate that someone will come back for it but it could be forever and like trying Mm -hmm. to hold on to that moment just like the moment just after so it's like the person's gone and these boxes are here and they could be like if somebody somebody you know you probably won't see them again but you don't ever want to say goodbye yeah like it just and it was weird because there wasn't a person it was like an artwork but it felt like some person had left and we're like oh well this moment right now is right next to the moment the person left. So it's, they're here, you know, like they just, like you just heard the door close or you just heard the car drive out of the driveway. And so it's this stillness and it's this stillness. that's going to be this way indefinitely, but there's this possibility or something about it. And it, and it's like, so it's like eternally, I don't know, possible, but also like empty and like, I don't know. It just got super, dark. like super dark, like super heavy, hmm. man. <laughs> Um, so there's also that, like the idea of trying to keep on, keep things or try to hold on to feelings or try to hold on to, uh, a thing Mm -hmm. or sensation or like, you know, not let go. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's not like documentary or archive in that sense, but it is the idea of like collecting or holding on to, or representing this like memory. And I don't know, it comes like, it comes about loss. It talks about possession and it talks about how those things like things that represent memories or things that are like vessels for memories. Um, Cause the other piece he, he has, has an actual vessel. Yeah. That was made um, at sidecar. Cause one of the other things Mike Kaysen does, um, he will occasionally build a giant kiln uh, or kill. Cause that's how you're supposed to pronounce it. Really? Yeah. I feel weird saying that. Um, it's like, that's like saying Van Gogh. Yeah. Instead of Van Gogh. Oh. Is that how do you sp- Van Gogh. I thought it was Van Gogh. Van Gogh. Yeah. I Nobody don't know. says it right. Yeah. Um, uh, so he'll he build raccoon, one. Raccoon yeah. firings. Yeah. He'll build it in his driveway. Build, have a big firing day and you can come out and that kind of well, thing. Well, you can't. <laughs> well, yeah, because you're not invited. Uh, no, it's like, you know, <laughs> it's sort of a joking. social thing, but it's not, it's not necessarily part of the gallery's activities and it's but it's a cool thing that can happen and so Brandon was out there one day and you know a couple friends and so he glazed this vessel that that was there and Mike threw a bunch of cups and then you could glaze them however you saw fit yeah or they get left over something from from a course or something Mm -hmm. um and so for him, it became this like sort of like talisman or this memory of that day. And so on the one hand, it's kind of like an insider reference to the space and the the event there. But like seeing it the way it's placed on this nice white pedestal in this unfinished 
um, attic attic with the single spotlight, you realize there's like something reverent about it and something kind of serious going on. Mm-hmm. I put my pens in mine at work. Yeah. <laughs> I made a really sweet one to hold my brushes. And then, of course, my cat wanted to knock them over. So now it's like hidden away in top of a shelf. You can't have anything nice anymore. I can't. That cat. Is out of control. Any t- anytime you tell me about a story about him, I'm like, maybe I won't ever get a cat. Well, he's got a lot of spunk. He keeps me on my toes. Um, so this one time, this is a really good story. Is it about your cat or is it about art? Just trust me with this. This is going to get us serious listeners. This is going to get us lots of upvotes. Hashtag cat. No! <laughs> Don't say the word hashtag. It's a thing that you type. What is this thing you mean? Just, oh, Eric and cats. Cats. Like, can't you just say that? Why does it have to be? I'm just saying because you're, you're going to connect to our visitors because they're going to, um, you know, we're going to hashtag it. Our listeners. Cat. Did, what, our did visitors. I say visitors? <laughs> visitors. It's like you're here podcast. with me. Um, In my heart. Yeah. Uh, All right. So I was, you know, cooking one day. And Shocking. Just kidding. <laughs> hey, I'm pretty good. I I know my way around the uh, olive oil saute machine. <laughs> Mince some garlic. Make a delicious dish. Yeah, it's real good. Can you smell the garlic roasting? Mm-hmm. The spinach sauteing. Uh-huh. And what's... Smell of burning hair. Oh my god! <laughs> That's you, stupid cat. Your cat. Your tail's on fire. <gasps> Did that really happen? Yes. Oh no! I was gonna say that as a joke. That's not. My oh. cat set his tail on fire. Oh my god! Um, How did it taste? The like burnt hair. Oh. Um, he didn't hurt himself. Because I smelled Ugh. that, and like I looked, and he because he's sitting because he loves to sit on the counter and see what I'm doing and see if food's involved, and like all cats there, he's fat. What the fuck is your problem? I don't know. For some reason, I just feel like I really need to take it out on your cat. Why are you taking it's out my own insecurities? Yeah, with my own he is health. not. I feed him a good diet of wet food. He gets plenty of exercise. <laughs> He has a nice little pouch. He's got a chubby jelly belly, but he has, he's perfectly fine. He's happy. He's not overweight. You're jealous of our love. Uh huh. That's it. That's, yeah. we should all be so lucky to be as fit as Bob Blah Blah. Uh huh. Because he's a real man. You know, he's got muscle and he's got some. Uh, what do you call it? More, more of him to love. <laughs> Rocky um, was so fit. Oh, I can't even talk. About what it. the god? Damn. Rocky what, uh, was, was your perfect. your live cat will never live up to my dead dog. <laughs> it's true. It's like it's like fucking ordinary people, <laughs> where the where the son dies in a boating yeah. accident, and then they just give the other one all this shit about you're never as good as our dead son who we idolize. That happens in Mouse too. The the comic. Yeah. I don't remember that part. He has a brother who died as a child. Oh. It's dark. Anyway. Uh, so anyway, the cat, you no. ruined the cat. The cat set his tail on fire. He was you fine. You didn't ruin it. It was over. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about art. But he, uh, it was just he funny was okay. because he didn't, he didn't realize, I realized before he did. He would have realized in about five seconds. 
but he did not burn himself. He just singed his tail, and that was pretty awesome. And it, and it was delicious. It's delicacy. I didn't eat his tail. <laughs> All right, so anyway. There'd be way too much bone and, like, no meat. Ugh, and why I can't would... even talk about that. Yeah. What, uh, which artist would you like to talk about next in your exhibition? No, uh, we could talk about uh, Bertram Litoff. <laughs> Say it right. I want you to prove that you can. Milk. No. <laughs> Harvey Milk. Bertram Litoff. Thank you. Oh, right, because we had that bit at the beginning about how I didn't know how to say your last name. Yeah. Lit off. Lit off. So, no, folks, this is not a coincidence. Bertram Lit off <laughs> is related to me. Because I know you're all thinking, what is this, some kind of coincidence? <laughs> Bertram Lit off, Bert Lit off, is my grandfather. And his work is in the exhibition, which makes me very proud. Um, because yeah, because, like, how did he get selected? Well, he got selected because um, last year I was in Los Angeles visiting my grandparents and they pulled out the photo albums as you do when you visit your grandparents show us all these pictures and interspersed in all the photo albums of pictures of our family were these pictures of TV, like hundreds (laughs) of pictures of my grandfather's TV, like over a hundred head of TV. And I guess he had his first TiVo and his first digital camera and he would pause the TV and take pictures of it and then go to CVS and the get them screen. printed out. These were photographs of screen of the of screen, the screen of, the of the television. Mostly of hot news anchors That's on the twenty four hour news channel. <laughs> but also of a lot of other hilarious things. Like lions and baby elephants and Pope funerals and the Chips Ahoy cookie mascot oh God, yeah. and a like, Sasquatch. Yeah. <laughs> There's some major squatch in this. <laughs> it was so funny. Like full squatch. It was so funny. And, and I, the, the relationships between them, it's... Yeah, they were in sort of these like sets of three, um, which sort of told this weird story when you would look at them. You were like, what's going on here? First is Jessica Simpson, then George W. Bush, and then yeah. below that is Paris Hilton and... You know, what's going on? These are all from about 2003 to 2005, so the yeah. early 2000s. Um, or like a guy holding a sign, handwritten, that says Hackensack. Yeah, the Hackensack Bridge, because my grandfather's from New Jersey. It it was so weird and hilarious because it was like a ready-made. It was like I just opened it up and boom, there was like Robert right. Heineken's surrealism on television just like in my grandfather's stuff yeah yeah or like it, they i mean like for real they also have they sort of remind remind you of like richard prince's early studies where it'd be like three women looking to the left or something like that or like mm-hmm. early uh christopher williams photos from yeah. the, the 80s and stuff like that so there's a definite eye for what he's doing and uh and a eye not just for the images he's capturing but the way they're placed together have these very strange relationships. Yeah, and uh, my grandfather does know, he's he's not an artist per se, but he do- has studied photography, so he definitely knows things about framing and, you know, aesthetics. You can tell that the photos are good photos. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were saying the project is almost better being taken by an 80-year-old man because 
if you were like an art student and you were like, I'm going to, you guys don't even know like TV society. I'm going to blow your mind. I'm going to take a bunch of pictures of TV and then mm-hmm. put them all together. They would be so heavily pre-edited that yeah. you wouldn't actually be getting a, a vision of what it actually looks like. They would be seeking out things that were yeah. pointed commentary but this has this air of just being kind of like his actual vision what he thought was interesting right and it i mean that definitely falls into that that uh criteria i was talking about like doing something out of a personal need or an internal need um these definitely have an internal logic that that's part what makes them so sort of mysterious and captivating is like you get relationships between images and and there's like humor or interest to it but there's other moments where you're like, clearly there's a mind at work, but we're not sure like what mm-hmm. his criteria for selecting things are or like. Yeah. What his motivation was yeah. even. He yeah. told me it was his hobby. He said, that's my hobby. Yeah. And I also wonder if I had seen these pictures before and I just needed to like go out and get a ridiculous amount of art over education and, um, to, to be able to see them as an art project and also maybe to put some distance between myself and the early 2000s mm-hmm. because I think I probably saw them close to when he had made them when I was a teenager and mm-hmm. I wouldn't recognize them as looking so dated or looking so like just aptly capturing mm-hmm. what that decade well, they also, was They like. don't seem totally dated because even now like mm-hmm. we're close enough to it's like the idea of pausing live television or like digital photography like they still kind of look like stuff you'd see now but a little bit and the bit. celebrities are are still yeah. celebrities yeah. today so it's not super old but yeah there's like a little bit of distance yeah Paris so. Hilton was on TV a lot more then than she is yeah. now she's come back a little bit but I don't remember why well, when I was uh, in, I found these pictures and I was like, what? <laughs> and I sent them to Eric and he was like, these are perfect for my exhibition, which I actually had, I didn't know no, about. Yeah. Well, pre- I was skeptical previously. at first because you're like, I think he's made art. And I'm like, oh, come yeah, on, let's I was see like, him. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> I was like, Eric, my grandfather's an outsider artist. And you're like, yeah, yeah. Sure as everyone is. Um, yeah, no. So they were quite amazing. Um, so I interviewed him to kind of get a sense of why he did this and what mm-hmm. he thought about the images. Um, and so we have that here. You really just have to hear it in his own words because nothing we can say could be quite as funny as hearing him say it himself. Okay, so when did you start doing that project? I started that project when I had, when I, uh, had my... my uh, it's a, it's a, actually it's a movie camera. No, it's not. Uh, I mean, a tape, a tape movie camera. You know, I started doing that when I got this television. It was uh, digital, digital television, a tube. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, you see the image, and you can freeze it right away, and it stay frozen. And then I took a. I I didn't use that camera. I used the other one. Was it film or digital camera? Yeah. (laughs) And and when? um, I gotta see if I got those uh, the the, uh, memory stick in there. Mm Mhm. When when did you want? How did you decide when to pause the picture? How did I decide what what process? 
you know, when did you decide to pause? When did you know you wanted to take a picture? Oh, I, I noticed it right away that if I freeze the image, it would, you know, you get different, you know, different expressions. I don't care how hard you try a studio and, and you try and catch the image, you never do it. And when you see the image the way you want, the one you want, you click it for a reason. And, and it stays that way until you photograph. And how did you choose which people to photograph? Well, I went after the, most of the, uh, okay. the uh, women who were anchors. Most of them were women anchors. And what was interesting to you about the women anchors? Huh? What was interesting to you about about those women anchors? Why were you interested in them? No, they're beautiful women. I've always been interested in beautiful women. <laughs> I started when I was I started when I was uh, six or seven years old. Yeah. And one of my it was I don't think really it was kindergarten, first or second grade. My, one of my teachers caught me. I used to I used to look up the girls' dresses when I, I used to be like a gentleman. You go first, and they go climb the ladder, and I climb right behind them. That's how it started. You know, I was always interested in pretty women. Look at the wife I got. <laughs> Yeah. My father said, oh, she'll never go out with you. I said, you want to bet? <laughs> yeah. She did. Um, but it wasn't just beautiful women. You have a lot of pictures of President George W. Bush on there. Oh, George, well, you know, that was, uh, the interest in that is uh, history. I got the Pope's funeral on there, too. Yeah, it was, uh, made it interesting. And how do you uh, think... That, I mean, uh, I certainly wouldn't be invited to the Pope's funeral. <laughs> I saw it up to you. I, you, know, you want me to tell you something funny happened to what I did? Yeah. They had a, um, a Sears commercial running on the t all the TVs. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a model, and she was jumping up and down on the bed. Mm -hmm. And I happened to notice it was a very sexy pose. She had, you know, like pajamas on, and I froze it, mm -hmm. and my shift was over, and I and I went home. And what happened was, the guy that was took over my shift, the manager comes down. She said, "Who put that on a television?" <laughs> because it was like like almost like pornographic <laughs> picture, you know. Were you doing these at work, or were you doing them at home? Huh? No, I did. I did that one at work. Did you take a photograph of it, or you just no, paused I it? No, never, I never took a photo of it. But um, what happened was, he says, and he, I froze it, and I went home. So what happened was, the manager came down, and she says, who put that on the TV? He says, I don't know. Something went wrong with the TV. And he took the batteries out <laughs> And she says, see, I can't do nothing, I can't get it up. <laughs> so, so, but I you were pausing. I got in trouble, I got in big trouble. You know? Wow. 
And why did you decide to print them out after you had taken them and put mm. them in the albums? Well, it came out so good. I I, I went to the uh, CVS and you know you, they have a digital printer. Kodak has a digital printer. I used to print them out. And uh, what came, you came said, out good. What about them was good for you? What it, what about them? You said what? Why did you think that they were really good? Hmm? Why did you think that they were really good? What about oh, them was well, really I said good for you? Facial expressions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like I said, you could do so much more watching people that you're going to get it. You know how a photographer, even in a studio, you say, look this way, look that way, look, put your eyes that way. But this, this way you just find the, 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 the pose that makes them really look beautiful. I mean, hit it. And do you think that they... Is it important to you that they go together, that you look at them like a series, or do you like each uh, image individually? No, each individual, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, individual. I think so. A lot of them I like very much. Mm-hmm. you have ordinary photos. Yeah, it is. The beef was spicy. What? Isn't that something the mom, uh, your grandmother says in the back? Oh, yeah, we're eating Chinese food. Oh, it's like they were just like, well, we've got a bag of sand that we're going to pour in while you're talking. Um, we'll probably edit that out. Yeah, cut, cut this one out. I'm saying too now. This is stupid. Please, thank you. Um, of course, he was wrong because they do go together as a yeah, series. Really that's one together. of the best parts about them. Yeah. So and I mean you know that's that's uh, my job as curator is to mm. decide when the uh, artist is right and uh, when the artist is wrong, <laughs> and uh, curator you know, knows best. Operate as the saying goes. accordingly. Um, so do you want to talk about the other crazy old man in your show? Um, no, we could talk about this a few more seconds if you want. Okay. Uh, Would well, you have something else to say? I what well, was interesting he said he said a lot of interesting stuff but like we never really found out why he he did it. Yeah, he like, just said why... it, he just keeps telling me he said it's his hobby. Yeah. And I mean, you know, cuz he's aware he's like talking about like trying to get the uh the exact moment uh or the expression and mm -hmm. and there are these quite strange expressions caught a lot or these like really intense looks or gazes. Um you know, or in other things, you know, like moments with lions or birds or something like there's a there's an understanding for that moment so like he's understanding the process but it is you know we don't really know why he did it or why he stopped either it was just this like kind of period where you know he did what like uh, hundreds of photos and then just stopped again mm -hmm. yeah he, d he i don't think he does it anymore yeah yeah very mysterious, but makes me laugh and makes me think. I'm really mm -hmm. glad that the public can see them mm -hmm. because they were sitting in his house yeah. and they were sitting in my house. And I just, I think it's really a strong example of how something only becomes art once it's been put in exhibition. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was really nice to see people react to it, like in the exhibition. Like that was yeah, really people... great. Like we'd be talking in the classroom, like, oh my God, look at this. Or like, you know, they'd really, you know, read that relationship or, you know, like see these different images punctuating things. And and they're very colorful. And a lot of the works in the show were monochromatic and that did add, yeah, a nice mm -hmm. 
zest. Yeah, yeah, because some of the some parts of the show are really quite quiet. Um, and also, you'll you have heard in the lead in and lead out a uh, sound piece by Polish artist Roman Opaka, um, counting. So that's part of uh, it's a sound piece related to his painting practice, and and he really is. Unlike Encore, yeah. like you said last time, really yeah. trying to count all the numbers to infinity. Yeah, so it's like this sort of personal countdown uh, or count up. Um, and it has this, you know, kind of like it feels the space that it's in and then the the central room with these sort of drawings that look like language or almost becoming language by uh, David Giordano. Like they ha- it has this kind of meditative sort of, I don't know, almost feels like. Like a temple, yeah, something or, you know, religious, like, a, like um, some kind of devotional space or mm-hmm. something. Those paintings really look a lot like Arabic to me, like those mm-hmm. sort of calligraphy meditations that you'd have in your home that you would pray. You know, you'd put on the wall and you'd have for prayer time. I'm mm-hmm. not Muslim, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah, they kind of they kind of gesture towards that or like illuminated texts. Yeah. Religious texts. Yeah, or like like sort of learning calligraphy or learning um handwriting, cursive, those kinds of things. Um before we jump on to the the other artist with a practice really similar to your uh grandfather's, I wanted to mention the other LA artist, uh or was, not really, but work made in LA or around LA was there's a large print called November, 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 November by Mike Shu. Um, and he's sort of, you know, responding to this like endless imagery, kind of like you're, you know, lit off or how do I refer to him? I refer to him as Bert, Bert. um, watching, you know, this 24 hour news cycle, um, being kind of like inundated with media and mm-hmm. ads and like, listen yeah. to me, watch me. Yeah. And so, so Mike lived in LA for a year and kind of changed his mind about it. And one of the things that really stuck out to him was, the way the the visual landscape was sort of almost poisoned or something by movie posters, like, and I think he's described as like, he's like, yeah, I know where I am, but it's like everywhere you go, it's like trying to remind you or something or trying mm-hmm. to holler out. And there was one movie in particular that was just really ubiquitous and also kind of like a signal, like when a movie's not gonna, when they're like, this is gonna tank, so they're like really trying to get any sort of attention or push for it. Which I feel like was what was going to happen to the interview until the controversy happened. Right. Um, But this movie, I really have no knowledge of this film outside of the artwork. Me either. By by Mike Shu. I had never (laughs) heard of it or seen it. It's called Tower Heist. Uh, It starred Ben Stiller and uh, Eddie Murphy. And it just says November. Stunning duo. The stunning duo. And I really like, it looks like a real movie, but <laughs> it it's clearly fake. <laughs> Could like, have been like a Saturday Night Live movie. Yeah. Like, it. oh, it's so bizarre. And, and the fact that like, I really only know of it in this artwork that Mike did. Um, we were trying to narrate the plot of Tower Heist. Yeah. Oh, God. Um. Let's like, not, though. <laughs> yeah. It, I mean, it's just like the poster. Eddie Murphy's like wearing a jack, like a black jacket and a chain and and Ben Stiller's in a, a suit. suit. A tie. And yeah, then there's like a, a giant ass tower, tower behind them. Yeah. 
tower heist. <laughs> that's, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, that's basically. Yeah, and it's, uh, um, it so was... he just saw these everywhere he went. And so the, uh, the, the piece in the show is two. Um, and it's actually a photograph of them on a wall or on a, on a fence. Um, and he said that he just sort of like started taking pictures of them every time he saw them as this sort of meditation on it or like yeah well no he was like, like saying like he wanted it. to steal this image back or like to do something because he felt everywhere he went he was like sort of being his space was being invaded by these images and they came to like sort of the icon became this one movie that really everywhere he went was uh uh you know like everywhere he went this was the particular movie that that stood out the most and it came to represent that and then the image in the show kind of represented that whole experience, that whole series of photos he took. Um, and he describes this one like solid block that was fenced in. And I think he's like, used the phrase like just, you know, like when they put a fence up around a field, just cause they don't want you to go in it <laughs> or just to keep you out of this empty field. Uh, and so like the entire thing was like just plastered in this ring of these posters. So the photo is two posters next to each other and then sort of cropped. And then he's removed the color. So it's this black and white image of these two posters. Um, And again, like I I like that whole story behind it. And then the way it presents this really strange image, you know, like I said that like, it looks like a real movie. I mean, it is a real movie, but it it, like exists in this other place. Yeah. It looks like the kind of, if you were like, I'm going to make a movie poster, it has to have Mm -hmm. the stars on it. It's about a tower. So we got to have a tower on it. Yeah, and they have got, to look like larger generic. than life. Yeah. And then like in the way that because you remove the color, it causes you to look even more at the image, I think. Like because I saw the because, he, you know, when he was working on it and stuff, like seeing it in color, like it did some weird things. But something about when you make it grayscale, when you make it this like large format inkjet black and white print, um, it really causes you to like analyze every little bit of the image. Um, and that's like the idea that he's not just going to present every single photo he took that, um, you know, obsessive documentation doesn't necessarily have to result in a huge archive or something. It could be the way that this particular image came to represent the whole project. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's that piece. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we could talk a little bit about, uh, Horst Adamite. Sure. Um, Who's uh, I saw him his work at the Hamburger Bahnhof in uh, Berlin when I was living there a couple years ago, and have been I have been I has been I've been hooked ever since. Like I haven't been able to think about it and um really thought like this particular fits this idea that I've always kind of had resurfacing the documentary idea. Um, and luckily uh this gallery in town Corbett versus Dempsey they did a show of some of his photos in 2012 and were really awesome to work with and really supportive and like you know they just like people that are interested in the work like that so they were really cool to work with and really on board to participate it was cool having like works loaned to your show like they actually have value yeah (laughs) yeah totally And well, and then also just uh, that whole experience. They didn't all come from somebody's grandfather's closet. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And I don't know, like seeing that in this museum in Germany and then like flash forward like four years later, I'm 
putting it in a show like it's kind I mean it's kind of like unreal to me like that you would by chance have this work you know that's right in town and you know to get it to happen um it all came together yeah it all came together really nicely I wonder what's awaiting in my future that I don't even know about something I'll be excited about and then you could wake up a crazy artist tomorrow one can only hope. <laughs> I have so many of the elements, but. <laughs> so I have a few selections I'd like to read. Um, so Horst Automite was a uh, artist person. I don't know. He had a pretty hard life. Um, he studied art. He studied art briefly, has kind of like a conservative take on it. And then this project, these photographs uh, that are Polaroids in which he's written increasingly detailed notes in the white margins um, came about later in life when he was in a public housing and he was convinced he was being poisoned by this thing called cold rays, which is like a type of radiation that uh, sucks the heat out or sucks the energy out. Um, And you know, it was really creepy where the photos are installed is cold. Yeah. No, really, like it's in when, this cold hallway. Yeah, leading towards the attic that doesn't have any heat. But like, it is bizarre. Like, because you walk out of the main gallery space into this kind and of transitional. Like, yeah, like you can really you feel the you cold feel race. the temp- yeah you feel the temperature drop, and it's a really nice space for those works because it has this you know domestic feel. It is in this house, but it has this kind of cramped apartment feel to it, and it it's sort of to me. Probably uh, mirrors what his living situation was actually like. The yeah. places where he took those pictures. Yeah. Yeah. And so this process would involve uh, one thing, laying out newspapers on a table every day. The sort of more tabloidy, uh, gossipy type daily newspapers. And they have those. I mean, they have them here, but I feel like they have them more abroad. And Yeah, like, like the, the Daily Euro- Mail or something like yeah, that. Yeah, the European ones literally have like pornography in them. Yeah, like. I don't like the page six girl or whatever. It's just like a local person that submitted a topless photo. <laughs> and they like print it and you can just buy it in the grocery yeah. store. I I always just thought that was insane. Yeah. yeah. And so he would lay those out and then put things like clocks and uh, compasses and other kind of meters. Barometers. And barometers, things like that. And other things. And like the one I selected, I thought really like said it all because it was, you know, it had it has like a topless woman and then it has this headline about. The uh the dead the dead bird drama continues because like some eagle got killed or something. <laughs> and there's <laughs> so, potatoes. Yeah, and on then the there's table. potatoes on the table, and it's like this is so German. <laughs> um, but the, in uh in this, what I'm about to read an excerpt from, he does talk about like he's trying these homeopathic things, but also like I don't know, I've never heard of like that. But one of it was like vinegar and potatoes, and so he would like lay out the things he was trying to as this way of somehow documenting it or like what was happening to him, what was happening to him because like proof he would, proof. Yeah. And he would, you know, and he came to like kind of blame the cold race for everything. It's like, you have a rash or there's like mold or like the electricity is not working. It's all these things happening. Um, and he did like thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of those pictures. Right. Yeah. And um, then towards the end of his life, he was like in a home and the nurse discovered them and so it was really like her that kind of connected her with this uh, gallery, Xander, uh, in actually I think in Colne. Now I feel bad. I should have looked up the address. <laughs> well, I love that we you were saying like he was like yeah I'm an artist sure yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and I mean, it, it, so it wasn't like a typical outsider thing where it's like, oh, that guy I'm calls himself make... the reverend and he, you know, does these crazy fire and brimstone paintings or whatever. It's like, um, you know, this project wasn't started as art. It wasn't started as a audience for that. But also, I mean, he did study art and had an idea of what was going on and like was supportive of like that being shown as his work. So it's, you know, kind of an interesting story in that sense. So um, in this catalog from the Xander Gallery, uh, he has a curriculum vitae that he wrote, which is really this like seven page sentence <laughs> biography, autobiography. Uh, I was born on 9th of September, 1937, illegitimately, and my parents are certainly not to blame. Even now, I vividly recall the 1939 outbreak of World War II and the confusing turbulence created by the intense and hurried evacuations on the grounds of a large children's home. Um, so he goes on to explain being in foster care and things like that throughout his life. Um, and like drawing and painting. And oh, I love this. Like, uh, So in 1960, I was unemployed for the first time without receiving unemployment benefits. And this situation prompted me to immediately leave the Protestant church since I needed the church tax payments for myself now. And from then I only knew only second rate jobs paying far below minimum wage. My nightly visits to bars and talking with the customers opened doors to illicit work in my field. What? <laughs> um, but he just means like sort of under the table, like carpentry and house painting and stuff like that. Um, or does he? No, I'm pretty sure he does. I know he does. <laughs> um, so then at some point, you know, he gets married and with his wife moves to Cone uh, for the School of Arts and Crafts. In the spring of 1969, our daughter was born. In the autumn of 1970, I acquired a diploma in textile design. In 1970, during the winter semester, I enrolled for courses at the Dusseldorf Art Academy and was assigned to boys' class. So Josef Boys. Here in Dusseldorf, my... Wife and I rented an apartment that came with superintendent's job. My first day at, art Academy, at the Art Academy, I intended to get right to work in this huge building, but my few thoughts and ideas seemed to have faded away. My concentration lapped, and I had no idea that I, what I was supposed to do. Here it stayed this way three more days, and then I gave up. In my opinion, a bad aura surrounded all the monstrous-looking plaster sculptures belonging to the boys' class lining the long ground-floor corridor in both directions. They reminded me of a boys' action piece I thought I remembered seeing in the summer of 1970. With a large TV broadcasting van, boys moves down the long corridor, walking in front, wearing his usual art clothing and kicking the plaster sculptures with space-clearing shots against the wall. Art clothing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> I love that he, like, called that out, that, like, that's his art clothing. You know, like, his yeah. costume, his hat, his vest and everything, his art clothing. Yeah. Um. So Boyce finally enters his inner sanctum of his room at the end of the corridor where shiny black briquettes are stacked as high as... I'll have to get to the next page. Uh, <laughs> iPad, I love you. <laughs> as his black briquettes stacked as high as a man and a throne of the same material commands the wall at the front of the room and over this huge... Hangs a dead rabbit dedicated to the Brancola Age Corporation. Whoa. Um, then disaster found us at home in our basement apartment in the neighbor's basement wall to wall with ours, our own cement tank for storing heating oil overflowed. So then 
uh, at various points. Uh, he loses his job. He loses his wife. He ends up on public assistance and kind of floats in and out of unemployment and the care of the state. God bless that social safety net. Yeah. He'd be totally screwed without it. I love Europe. Yeah. So he was trying to, during this transitional period, I moved to the youth hostel. He'd been evicted a lot. Um, The judge added insult to injury when she said that the defendant was suffering from Michael Cole Haas syndrome. So he was uh, not only evicted, but labeled mentally unstable. Which was probably true. True. On the December 1st of 1987, the housing office assigned me to a low-income apartment in Dusseldorf, Flingern at 9 Bernstrasse. This ground floor apartment in the building's right wing has was somewhat cut off from the rest of the house. I had only vague inkling in my previous apartment on Weisenbergstrasse, but here in this concrete structure, I was certain that emissions of cold radiation were chilling my apartment and my body, and that this explained why all the household electrical appliances, including the radio and TV, no longer functioned properly, or better, they madly overfunction as manifested by icy cold or by overheated plugs. During an inquiry conducted in the apartment, the landlord spoke of a water vein underneath the house, but also of high degree of earth radiation. This sounded peculiar to me, and even more so the idea of finding someone to consult for this needed help and advice to solve this problem. There are no periods in any of this writing, and there's just like... Really? Yeah. (laughs) And then he'll just capitalize it when the new sentence starts. So I was facing this problem alone. The same magnetic shielding I had used in the previous apartment was set up in and over my bed here. I spent most of my time in bed at first. I read books on healing, herbs, and seasonings, and then conducted experiments as proving cinnamon dill to be ideal for generating body warmth and a relaxed feeling. But these did nothing for the slip discs. So I guess I had back problems, too. Mm. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, I got hold of the latest material, silicon, available as bandaging. At the time, copper cables were being replaced underground by silicon cables. After I consumed sand and then inserted knots of nylon into my ears and applied length of copper wiring to my body. Oh, my God. Later, the natural nylon worked perfectly, whereas the silicon was only marginally suitable, and I experimented with a full range of metals. Apart from aluminum, they were all drawn to magnets, and although silver and gold were consistently excellent in this respect, I felt that the 18-carat variety was only marginally viable in biological tests. Hazelnut treatments delivered excellent results. The raw potatoes were only marginally suitable, for the same was true of vinegar. Onions by far the best. I almost three years ago, I stopped smoking and grew increasingly fatter and livelier and ended up weighing over 170 pounds. When I started smoking again, I quickly lost the extra weight and felt much better again. (laughs) Oh, wow. (laughs) To weigh 170 pounds. What a dream. (laughs) I drank two to three bottles of beer every day and a liter of red table wine with hearty dishes. I I cooked all the pulses myself, and I sometimes nourished myself with canned foods. Every morning, I drank a glass of kefir and from monday to friday i would spend one to two hours in the fresh air running errands around 2005 i began to consume cigarette ash as a remedy for diarrhea and constipation ew what helped me achieve more bodily warmth were the small wooden beads derived from a beech tree 
a beech nut as opposed to copper beech tree and measuring eight millimeters in diameter, consistent with the size of the lenses of the eye that I lathed. So these are um, tiny little balls that he turned, like and lathed, mm -hmm. and he thought those would absorb the rays, and so he'd carry them in his pockets and stuff like that. Um, ultimately, for many years, I was able to keep the apartment's temperature at 20 degrees centigrade with a miniature light bulb. Yeah, that really goes beyond just yeah. taking the Polaroids. <laughs> yeah. Um, later, he goes on sand. to like explain like the the landlord was like after him and trying to steal his paperwork. And also, this is his CV. I just want to yeah, yeah, remind this everybody. This is a very short ex excerpt. Um, yeah. So he also like goes like what's interesting is there's like sort of fascinating eccentricity and uh, insanity, we might say. But then there's other parts that are really banal where you're like, this guy is like the worst tenant in the world because like he talks about like getting into fights with the landlord and like all these lawsuits and stuff. And you're just like, that's banal crazy. Um, mm -hmm. But one part I thought was really interesting. He sort of like to me, like maybe explains the motivation behind eccentric people you might see on the street where he talks about he was convinced this landlord was always trying to break into his room and break in the windows and stuff like that and steal the paperwork about some lawsuit or some case involving the the building and his unemployment or some, you know, this and that. And so he decided that every time he'd go out to do errands, he would bring all of his paperwork with him and then make it, <laughs> therefore make it useless for the landlord to break into the apartment. And I'm like, oh, I've seen so many people that like carry garbage bags of photocopies or something meticulously yeah. with them. And I'm like, is this like what's behind that? So it's kind of interesting where it's, it's sort of like talking about the process of insanity. If you just spoke insanity. to them, they would explain. Yeah. It yeah. And it's be like based in something irrational, but it would definitely have a logic. All yeah. Of its own. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, yeah. We have our producer has a comment. So he, he was accused of suffering from Michael Kohlhaas syndrome. Yeah. Are you familiar with this? No, I'm not. It is a kind of uh, schizophrenia uh, characterized by a uh, an urge to uh, right some wrong, but in such an extraordinary fashion as to uh, completely outweigh the wrong that was done to him. <laughs> and it's... Uh, the name refers to a story from the 19th century in Germany uh, about a man named Michael Kohlhaas who uh, attempts to overthrow the government because a wealthy landowner uh, seizes his horses. And the landowner's name was Joseph Boyce. <laughs> <laughs> the landowner's name I'll uh, I'll read you the text. This is from Wikipedia. What new fashion is this, said he, when, after considerable time, the collector came out of his house? A sovereign privilege, was his reply, as he unlocked the bar, granted to the squire Wenzel von Tronka. <gasps> oh, my God! <laughs> so, said Kohlhaus, Wenzel's the squire's name, is it? And he looked at the castle, which, with its glittering battlements, peered over the field. <laughs> Wow. Wow, your ancestors suck. Well, I don't know. We were come from a long line of curators. <laughs> That's awesome. That's hilarious. And that that really makes sense uh because like his 
court cases and stuff all involve wrongs done to him, sort of perceived attacks and uh, lengthy court battles about, you know, against landlords or the bureaus that furnish uh, unemployment payments and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty fascinating. Thank Great. you for that extra insight, Andre. Hilarious. Um, so um, I think there are two more artists yeah. left in the show. Do you want to talk about the other German connection? Uh, yes. <laughs> Were you not ready to move on from this no. one? No. What's the other German connection? Olivia. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was thinking of it in a different terminology, but yeah. So uh, another artist, uh, Olivia Martin Moore, um, based in Austin right now, but I met her in Berlin when I was living there. Uh, and this is exciting for me because I'm about to embark on a trip to Germany mm-hmm. to Leipzig and Berlin. Yeah. So you'll either come back an artist or crazy. <laughs> or a crazy artist. I thought oh, that yeah. was oh, the Oh, that's goal. the plan. Yeah, duh. Uh, Künstler. <laughs> uh, f- uh, pardon me, uh, Verrückt Künstlerin. Verrückt. Verrückt. Künstlerin. Yeah. That means crazy art, artress. <laughs> Artrix. <laughs> Artistette. Um, so the works that, uh, I guess it's a singular work that's a multi-partite piece by, uh, Olivia is called Rosenthaler Platz Recorded, um, and it's based uh, in the space outside her studio in Rosenthaler Platz in Berlin. And this was a studio space of a friend of mine I had met in Berlin in the past and, you know, was doing that typical artist thing of looking, artists with the studio space looking to sublet or looking to pass on to another artist. So that was cool that, you know, kind of connect this group of people. And so... For about a year or more, um, uh, Olivia worked in that space. And uh, one of the works she created was sort of harvesting these wheat paste posters, um, which are a staple of Berlin all over the place, um, in particular around light posts or like power posts and stuff like that. And Do they have posts that are designated for the posters? Yeah, if it's a post. Like a like a big I just mean like a big round like bulletin board like public. Oh bulletin yeah, they board. have those, but at just anywhere you can put wheat paste. Okay. I mean, like really, it's just anywhere. It's anywhere. It's uh, it's wheat paste and graffiti bedlam over there. <laughs> um, it's so different it's really than Bavaria. I'm yeah. so I'm really anxious to go there and. And excited and also not sure what to expect because I've spent most of my time in Bavaria and Austria mm-hmm. and I can't imagine probably a more different place. Yeah. Well, one of the things I say is like, what is it like? Berlin is not Germany and Germany is not Berlin, but it's also Berlin is so German. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, all kinds of things going on. Um, I feel like you could say that same phrase, but with Tokyo and uh, Japan. I guess. I don't know. I've never been. Well, I haven't. I'll tell you. <laughs> it's like completely different than the rest of Japan, but it's also so Japanese. It's like, it's like uber Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so these, you know, these wheat pastes are everywhere. And at certain points they like cut them down and, 
you'll see like these sheets, you know, almost like they're being harvested or something. Um, and I, I mean, like, it's so tempting to do uh, decollage with them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny because I did a few and I grabbed a few scraps and like, I mean, they were just chunks everywhere. And then like by the end, they've been edited down to like a few bits and pieces that I've made into these sort of collages. So it's kind of funny to see, to think of like this huge mass that these little bits, almost like artifacts have come from. Um, it's but, really tempting to make collages out of those. When I was mm-hmm. in collage class, I mm-hmm. was like, I got to go out and find some posters that were we pasted up and yeah. collage something. But nothing but in Berlin, you- that really is the urban environment is that. So it's not yeah. like you're like going out to find it for affectation. It's like really yeah. part of the landscape. And so that's why, you know, like she talked about it being this Rosenthaler plots. Um, so they would they particularly and really interestingly pile up around light posts or, uh, you know, electric posts and they, they become so layered, they become like cones and they come really thick. And so she sort of harvested them and rolled them up into like a log, like this tight, tightly rolled log and then had them sawn, sawn, sawed, sawed, uh, in discs, into disc shapes. So they look like trees, um, look like little trees, you know, with the lines and, uh, or they also look like vinyl records or something. Uh, and then she lacquered them. So they're these like really heavy kind of plastic discs. Um, and, you know, I'd been consulting with her over email and like different ideas for how to display them. And really when I just like started unpacking them in the really beautiful crate and packing job she did. So A plus. <laughs> <laughs> um I was like going to lean them against the wall or something. And they almost like they resisted it and they were like, you just rolled them out they and they just all rolled, just like stopped. they just really, yeah, they really were like, we want to stand upright in the middle of the floor and really become like a sculptural presence. Um, so they're kind of placed throughout the exhibition and they, yeah, they look like they kind of rolled in and it stopped at various points. Um, and they really are these like sort of little characters um, that kind of lead you through the show. Also a really colorful counterpoint mm-hmm. to the, to the kind of more monochromatic. Yeah, more muted stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we talked about... There were some kids at the opening and they yeah. said they really liked those. Oh, cool. Um, so... The last one yeah. had to dismantle an atomic bomb. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, I thought we could get through one podcast without you two. <laughs> not you too <laughs> not me also, um, what <laughs> yeah so uh, this is also a piece by Mike Shu and it, it was kind of one of the first ones included in the show because um, I'd you know done a studio visit with him just to see what's up <laughs> as as Stop. we do um, so it was really one you know very early stages in thinking about stuff and he had this text that he found on the internet about how to build a landmine um written by someone that kind of knew what they were doing, but it also had, at least to me, they had this like kind of vigor of like a young kid that's really into army stuff or like blowing stuff up and like all that fascination, like that young boy fascination and like finally has this one opportunity in school to like write the paper on it, you know, where it's like, (laughs) all right, you get to write. And it's like, you know, like they're so excited that they're doing that. Well, I felt like there was something kind of illicit about it. Like it's some information that you're not supposed to know. Yeah, for sure. And that you jotted it down 
quickly, mm-hmm. even though it's a huge ass drawing. It has the look of being jotted down. Quickly. Yeah. Well, that's what, so uh, what Mike did was he did jot it down really quickly in his own handwriting. Um, and then he blew it up onto this large, you know, it's like the size of a wall. Blew it up, no pun intended. <laughs> Sick. Um, from the Greek as it is, I believe. Maybe. I don't... Sick, S-I-C. Latin. Oh, yeah, Jesus. I'm stupid. <laughs> One of them oldie-timey languages that means... It's Greek. Sick. It's Greek. Uh, anywho. Again, this is audio. It's not reading, so this is... I'm... Uh, ugh. Um... He uh, oh he wrote it down, and oh then boy. he made a drawing based on his handwriting. So it's yes. like a huge drawing, but it's... It's the size of a wall. Um, and so I like it as this sort of explanatory wall text, like when you have like an exhibition. Like Christopher Williams. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I thought of it because it is, you know, it's a multi-room exhibition that you walk through and, you know, you it, you end up in the attic and there's there's kind of a journey you go through to it. So it does have this like each room has its own character and leads to different things. So I like the idea of this like really big explanatory seeming text that really like kind of tells you nothing, but does key into what the show's about. Um, and so for this one, like blowing it up, like instead of uh, projecting it or tracing it or something like that, uh, Mike decided to, is it weird that I'm saying Mike Draw instead it. of shoe? I think it would be weirder. It, it sounds more like professional, though, like I'm like a real curator talking about the artist if I only refer to them as their last name. Yeah. I believe. Well, I know, but that to is totally here. a thing, though, because m- most female artists are not called talked about by their <laughs> last name. OK, well, these are you know, I'm sorry. These are all pe- these people for the most part I know. So, yeah, I guess I would say Adamite because I never met him, but, you know, he's like a historical figure, but like. You can't say lit off because yeah. you'll just think of me. Yeah. Um. So anyway, Mike, yeah, he drew it by yeah, hand. Yeah, that's true. I do think of like when you say someone's last name of them as a historical figure or some yeah. kind of like larger than life figure. Yeah. So I don't think of it as a way to talk about artists who I know. Yeah. And then so. there's some, I mean, some I can't imagine. It's not saying their full name. Like yeah. Theaster Gates. Yeah. Oh yeah, or Andy Warhol. Well, we everybody gets to call him Andy. No, we call him Warhol, or like Kara Walker. Yeah. Or Jasper Johns. Yeah. That's one when I hear they're like this Johns painting. I'm like, what? Who painted? And they're like Jasper Johns. I'm like, oh. <laughs> huh. His uh, name goes together. Yes. So, let me read these names out to you. Mm-hmm. Alvendia, Adamite. Giordano, Opaca, Moore, Shu, Lidoff, the artists of Documentia. Did I get them all? <laughs> Let's double check. Oh, God. Because I'm like, I live in perpetual fear of forgetting someone important. No, that was, you forgot yourself. Uh, no. I'm just Wenzel, like... the horse thief. <laughs> <laughs> that was all of them. So um, the exhibition is on view through April 4th. Uh, and you're going to have a conversation. Yeah, with some of the artists involved on the 28th of March. 
So uh, I will not be there because I'll be in Germany. She'll be auf Deutschen. Thank you for listening to us. Thank you for humoring us. Oh, I have um, a plug, kind oh, of. Oh, okay. Um, I'll be... I'm going on vacation. <laughs> I'm going on vacation. That's going to be so awesome. But you wish you were all coming. No, I have a real plug. Um, mm-hmm. I will be giving a Photography is Pop-Up Talk at the Art Institute of Chicago on April 3rd, Friday at 1 p.m. If you want to nice. come hear me talk about photography. Um, it might be a disaster because I don't know exactly what I'm talking about yet. You ever wonder what photography is? Yeah, photography is, you know, so... Is this following in the footsteps of David Bowie is? Are we going to look at the, uh, the various <laughs> musical chameleon no, I think it was just a iteration. coincidence. They're just okay. it's just the celebration of the 40th anniversary of the Art Institute's photography department and they're just saying, you know, photography is lots of different things. So you can explore all the different facets. Yeah. What it could be. Um, but I won't tell you what I'm talking about because I'm not 100% sure yet. <laughs> awesome. Uh, but you listen to me talk about art all the time, so it's probably going to be good, right? I yeah. could I can riff on something for you can make something happen verbally you know in the worst case scenario i'll just start explaining darkroom procedures mm. i could talk about that for forever oh yeah i'll start naming parts of the camera like um the hot the shoe lens. sink <laughs> the, the lens the clicky part shut the shutter release button is that, I, the, is that the clicky part yes i love saying that i love i love being like shutter. release the shutter no press the shutter release button like if release you make, the kraken like <laughs> if you tell someone to take your picture and you're like no press the shutter release button <laughs> like i don't know how to work your camera i'm like well you know just like adjust just adjust the f-stop for 16 because it's sunny <laughs> exactly and be like no you need to move Set farther away Set you're at infinite yeah two-thirds in front one-third behind it's how many lenses fit in it's the, the hole. the other way around. One third in front, two thirds behind. Damn it. Fuck me. There's, it's, it's, it's as many lens fits in the hole as fits in the hole. It's like you line them up. Come on, people. My dad always uses that as an insult. He says he doesn't know an F stop from a bus stop. Oh. <laughs> well, and the buck stops here. Thank you. Thank you for listening to I Don't Hate This. If you have any questions or comments, you can email at us at um, I don't hate this at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at I don't hate this. You can follow us on Facebook and you can follow our Tumblr where you can see some cool images. Finally, I'd like to thank all of the artists who participated in Documentia and uh, Michael Kaysen of Sidecar Gallery for giving me the opportunity to organize this exhibition and uh, for being so good to work with uh, in the installation and every step of the way. Uh, I also want to thank Corbett versus Dempsey and particularly Ben and Nicole, but the whole team at that gallery um, for allowing me to borrow the Horst Adamite artworks and uh, also for being so awesome to work with. And finally, of the finals, uh, artist, curator, exhibition organizer, New Year's Day feast cooker, Philip von Sweck. Uh, for lending me his uh, Roman alpaca sound piece. Um, Thanks, everyone, and have a good night. Dwa miliony trzydzieści osiem dwa miliony trzydzieści dziewięć Dwa miliony czterdzieści.